is off and on. Are we good? It's on now. Okay. It was flickering. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, please help us now as we seek to feed upon your word. We thank you that your word is truth because you are the God who cannot lie. Help me to represent your truth accurately to your people for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, you may be a little bit overwhelmed with the sermon this morning. You may feel as though you're being machine gunned a little bit because I have 10 points, as your outline indicates. But let me say that I really only want to make one point, and that point is to remind you of the fact that the church is important. The church is important to God, it's important to Jesus Christ, and it should be important to us. And my tactic here is to make associations and connections. That is, I want to mention truths, ten of them, that I know are important to you if you are a Christian, and then show you the connection between those truths and the church so that you will see that the church is important. If I were to turn it into a logical syllogism, and I'm no great logician, but I know what a logical syllogism is, the major premise would be this. Truth A is important. The minor premise would be this. Truth A is inseparably bound up with the church. Conclusion, dot, 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 the church is important. You got that? Major premise. This truth, and I'll present ten of them, is important. Minor premise. This truth is inseparably connected to the church. Therefore, the church must be important to you. I'll give you a more simple illustration. Many of you know I enjoy fishing. And we live right around the corner from Marsh Creek Lake, 535-acre lake. And we have a few kayaks, but I don't have a boat to fish in that lake. And someday I'd like to get a boat, not a big boat, but a boat that I could fish on that lake. And sometimes I see boats advertised, but the boat is on a trailer. And when I say, look, I'm interested in the boat, but I don't need the trailer, people will tell me, well, sorry, we're selling it as a package. If you want the boat, you got to buy the trailer. Well, I don't want the trailer, so I don't buy the boat. In other words, they go together. They are hitched together. And my point this morning is that these vital truths that I know are important to you are hitched to the church. Therefore, the church must be important to you. You'll see what I mean as we get into it. First of all, the church is the corporate work of Jesus Christ on earth. Now, if I ask you as a Christian, how important is the work of Jesus Christ to you? You would say the work of Jesus is very important to me. Jesus is very important to me. I mean, he, he's become my savior. He's my Lord. He's my king. As a Christian, I can say at least to some degree with Paul, for me to live is Christ. Now, you might say that wasn't always the case. You know, for a long time, Jesus was maybe a good man, a good teacher as I viewed him. Maybe in your past life, Jesus was only a curse word. But now that you've become a Christian, that has changed. Jesus is, now I see, as Paul said, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus is of great importance to me, and therefore the work of Jesus is of great importance to me. 
Well, we ask, what is the work of Christ? Well, on an individual basis, it is to seek and save that which is lost, to save sinners one by one. But he has a corporate work. He came to build an institution, but only one. What does he say to Peter in Matthew 16, 18? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if the work of Jesus Christ is important to you, the church must be important to you because that's the only thing he came to build on the earth. Secondly, the church is the place of the special presence of God and Christ. Do you want to be in the presence of God? Well, there's a sense in which we cannot escape his presence. He is omnipresent. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. And there was a time before you were a Christian when you didn't want to be in the presence of God. In fact, you were bent on running from God and hiding from God, right? And that's why you avoided Christians. Maybe you avoided church. You didn't want to think about God because you, you didn't want to be reminded that you need to give an account to him. So there was a point in, in your life when you were running from God and hiding from God. But when you became a Christian, that all changed. Now you delight in the presence of God. That's why most days you, you try to draw near to him by reading his word, the Bible, and, and praying to him. And that's why you want to come to worship because he's... He's here with his people. And, and, and so now the presence of God is, is something important to you. And you can say with the psalmist, but as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. And it's the most important thing we look forward to in heaven. That God is there, that Jesus is there. So if you enjoy the presence of God, and every Christian does, where does God most fully show his presence on earth? The answer is his church. In Matthew 18, the passage I was referring to earlier, talking about the keys of the kingdom, Jesus is talking about excommunication. He says if a person sins and it gets to the third level where that person refuses to repent, you're to tell it to the church. And in that context of the church gathering, he says, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's not talking about a little home Bible study. That's talking about the gathered church. When the church gathers, Jesus is specially present with them. You all know the Great Commission. Going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And then Jesus promises, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When is Jesus with his people? When they go out in his name to make disciples. When they baptize those disciples. And when those disciples are gathered to be taught, Jesus says, I am there in your midst. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And there he's not talking about the individual Christian whose body is a temple of spirit. He's talking about you, plural. You are the temple of God, and when you gather as the people of God, God is specially, graciously present with you. And so what's my point? If the special presence of God is important to you, the church must be important to you. 
because that's where God promised it to specially and graciously dwell among his people. Thirdly, the church is the object of the special love of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a sense in which God loves the entire world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But his saving love is shown only to a part of the world. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, surely it speaks about the universal church there, all of the saved people of God, but God wants all of his saved people gathered into local churches. And so if the love of Jesus Christ is important to you, the church must be important to you because it is the special object of his love. And you love what he loves. And he loves his church. Fourth, the church is the family of God. How important is family to you? Now, I think among any group of people, that answer will vary. It varies from culture to culture. Among the Amish, with whom I've worked for 15 years, family is very important. They really identify with family. In fact, my my friend Ben Byler, he's identified as Plumber Ben's Emanuel's Ben. That's how he's known in the Amish community. In other words, he's known by three generations. His grandpa was Plumber Ben, his father was Emanuel, and he's Plumber Ben's Emanuel's Ben. I mean, family's really important to the Amish, right? It's important in Hispanic culture. I have ministered to Spanish... uh, Um, American church in California. My son was the pastor of a church in Laredo on the border of Mexico with 95% uh, Hispanic Americans. And uh, in the Spanish culture, family is very important to you. I come from an uh, Italian heritage. Family is important. They love to fight among themselves, right, Mike? (laughs) But but it's important. Um, Well, however that is with your earthly family, If God had a family, would you want to be part of it? Well, the fact is, he does have a family. Those who are his children and are brothers and sisters to one another. What is the family of God? Listen to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. The apostle says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. Timothy had been left in Ephesus to organize the church. I hope to come to you soon, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the church of God, which is the house, uh, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. What is the house of God? It is the church of God. It is where God specially dwells among his people. And that's the local church. Because in that letter, he's telling them to arrange a prayer meeting and appoint leaders in the church and telling them what to do in the worship service. So if the family of God is important to you, The church local must be important to you because it is called the household of God. You know, for many who do not have natural family, the church family is all the family they have. Or in some cases, when your family has rejected you and shunned you, like some of our Amish-believing friends, the church family is the only family they have. And if many in your earthly, fleshly family are unbelievers, the church family can be closer to you and more like family than even your own natural blood relatives. So if the family of God is important to you, the church must be important to you because it is the household of God. Number five, 
The church is the depository of the truth of God. Now, how important is truth to you? You might say that as a non-believer, you would have said, well, truth. You might have even been cynical like Pilate, who said to Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? And a lot of people today are cynical about truth. There is no absolute truth. There's your truth and my truth. Truth is whatever you make it. But if you're a believer in Jesus, truth has become really important to you. Your God is the God of truth. Your Savior identifies himself as the way, the truth. He is truth incarnate. And the spirit who lives inside you is the spirit of truth. The Bible is the word of truth. Jesus said in John 17 to the Father, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The gospel is the truth that sets us free. So if you're a Christian, truth has become vitally important to you. Well, therefore, friends, the church must be important to you. Why? Picking up in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, I write so that you may know how you are to conduct yourself in the church of the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he says, the pillar and ground or support of the truth. A ground is a foundation. The pillars are columns. If the truth is the roof, the church is the foundation and the columns that support the truth. Because the truth is deposited in the church. The truth is what is to be preached to the people of God in the church. The church is to guard and protect the truth. And it is from the church that men go out to proclaim the saving truth of God to the ends of the earth. The church is the depository of the revealed truth of God. So if truth is important to you, and it is if you're a Christian, the church must be important to you because it is the repository or the depository. It is the treasure chest that houses the truth of God. Number six, the church is the display case of the glory of God. If I ask you as a Christian, how important is the glory of God to you? Well, we know how important it is to God. Places like Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I will not give my glory to another. And for a Christian, the glory of God is really the highest end of our existence. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. When you eat your McDonald's hamburger or fries, you are to do it to the glory of God, if you can eat that food to the glory of God. <laughs> But whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, it's to be to the glory of God, right? The, co the, the confession says, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? The answer, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, here again, the church is inseparably bound up with the glory of God. Where? In Ephesians 3.21. As Paul closes out the doctrinal section of his letter to the Corinthians, he says, he gives this doxology. To him, to God, be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory. Where's God going to get glory? In the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Amen. Why? 
is the glory of God bound up in the church. Like two colors of clay mixed and kneaded together so that they can't be separated. Because the church is the place where the trophies of God's saving work in Jesus Christ are displayed. If you were to go to my high school in northeast New Jersey, Midland Park, New Jersey, or almost any high school around, as you walk into the lobby, you're probably going to find a trophy case. And behind the glass will be trophies of the victories of that school's sports teams. How in 2007, their basketball team was the conference champion. And in 2011, state champions in, in soccer. And in 2014, you know, we were the, the um, conference champion in, in uh, what did I leave out? Football. You're going to see the trophies displayed in the trophy case, boasting about their school's athletic victories. Well, guess what is the trophy case of God's trophies of redemption? Every true local church, every true local church, including this one, there they sit, there you sit, the trophies of God's triumph of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You're the trophies of God's grace, rescued from this world, from death and from hell, by the blood of his son. And you're on display in every local church. That's the trophy case of the victories of God's grace in Jesus Christ. People rescued from all kinds of backgrounds. Immorality, greed, pride, man-made religion, prostitution, pornography, adultery, gossip, drugs, drunkenness, deceit, hypocrisy. There they are on display. Where? Gathered in a local church. So, dear friend, if you care about the glory of God, and if you're a Christian, you must you got to care about the church. It is the trophy case of the glorious conquests of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Number seven. Getting through it quickly, right? Ten doesn't seem too intimidating. The church is the prism through which the multicolored wisdom of God is seen. The wisdom of God. It's one of his great attributes. Paul says in Romans 16, 25... To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. God is the all-wise God. What is the wisdom of God? It is one of God's excellencies by which he always chooses the best means to accomplish the best ends. That's his wisdom. The best means to accomplish the best ends. The, the, The wisdom of God is seen in the creation Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. And we see all the animals and how they're so well suited to their habitat. I mean, just an infinite display of God's wisdom in the physical creation. But the wisdom of God is supremely seen in salvation. Ephesians 3.10, and I know I'm not turning you to the Bible. I'm giving you the Bible, but you may turn to Ephesians 3. We'll be there for a few minutes. In Ephesians 3.10, we read this. So that the manifold, and that means multicolored wisdom of God, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The all-wise God chooses to display his multicolored wisdom through the church. How? Well, let me suggest a few ways. First of all, he displays his wisdom through the church 
in how he brings people into the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, and the Corinthians were in Greece, where Greek philosophy was big, and Paul was contrasting the wisdom of God to the wisdom of the world. And in 1 Corinthians 1.21, we read, um, getting there, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In the, to the world, a man speaking words and bringing eternal life to people, that's foolishness. But that's the wisdom of God. Through preaching and the preached word, he's going to save his people. So God's wisdom is seen in the church in how he brings people into the church. His wisdom is also seen in whom he brings into his church. In that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, who does God populate his church with? Who are we? 1 Corinthians 1, 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. Here's the wisdom of God. Consider your calling, brethren. You who are Christians, consider that there are not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. The wisdom of God is seen in, in those with whom he populates his church. Not the great and mighty ones, not the wealthy ones, not the power brokers, but ordinary nobodies like us. In particular, he's chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. The wisdom of God in those he chooses. The wisdom of God is seen in the church in another way. I'll read Ephesians, back to Ephesians 3, 4 to 6. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Where is the wisdom of God seen in the church? In that he uses the foolishness of preaching to bring people into his church and that he chooses nobodies to be part of his church and that he does this amazing thing. He brings Gentiles and Jews who formerly hated one another, had nothing to do with one another, into the same family and calling one another brother and sister. That's the wisdom of God. And it is seen in the church. The church is the prism through which the multicolored wisdom of God is seen in these various ways. So again, if you care about the wisdom of God, You've got to care about the church because it's through the church that the multicolored wisdom of God is seen. Number eight, the church is the pinnacle of God's plan of salvation on the earth. You ask, what is the whole Bible about? It's about salvation, isn't it? In the beginning, God created man and the woman in his image, to enjoy this beautiful garden paradise. We come to chapter 3, and they sin, they rebel against God, and they're cast out of the garden. 
and our first parents plunged the entire human race into this state of alienation from God. But right there in chapter 3, verse 15, he gives the first gospel promise, the proto-evangelium, the, the first gospel, where he promises that even though the seed of, a, of a, the, the serpent will crush, will, will bruise the head of the seed of the woman, Jesus, the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, um, and uh, Christ will be victorious. That's the first gospel promise. The seed of the woman, uh, the seed of the serpent, yes. And, and throughout the, the Bible, the message of salvation unfolds and that light gets brighter and brighter until it comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The whole message of the Bible is, is about salvation. What is the greatest thing that God is doing on the earth? Bringing his salvation to his people. What will determine when God wraps up human history and causes the present earth and heavens, as Peter says, to melt with fervent heat, and he creates a new heavens and new earth, when the, the last of his elect are gathered in to his church? Now, in the Old Testament, God had his people, and they were one nation, the nation of Israel. Amos 3.2, God says to Israel, you only do I have of all the nations of the earth. He chose one nation to be his people, the covenant people. And it was a temporary covenant, however, because God intended a new covenant that would be much broader than Israel. Listen to the language of Hebrews 8, 6 to 13, talking about a new covenant that was promised to God's people Israel through Jeremiah. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I make, made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. With whom was that new covenant ratified? Well, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we read, from 1 Corinthians 11, quoting the words of Jesus at the Last Supper when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The blood of Jesus seals to us the blessings of the new covenant. And that is to say that the new covenant community, the church, is the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. The church is the new Israel. The church is the apex of God's plan of salvation on the earth. And those who are part of that new covenant community, the church, are the ones blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1. Election, redemption, adoption, sealing with the Holy Spirit. So the great plan of salvation that God is working through the ages comes to its fulfillment, its consummation on earth in the church. Now it has a greater fulfillment in the age to come. Heaven and a new heavens and a new earth. But on earth, the fulfillment of God's saving plan is in the new covenant community, the church. So here again, if you care 
about God's great plan of salvation. If that's important to you, the church must be important. It's the pinnacle of his saving work on earth. And then we might say the church is the launching pad of the worldwide work of God. You ask, I ask you, does the worldwide work of God, is that important to you? Is the Great Commission important to you? Go and make disciples of all the nations. If it is, the church must be important to you. Because the church is the launching pad for the worldwide work of God. Even in the days of the apostles, who had authority over all the churches... When the Apostle Paul went out on his first missionary journey, do you know who commissioned him? God, the Holy Spirit, through the church at Antioch. He was in a local church, and in that local church in Antioch, the Spirit of God said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We were supposed to commission our brother Chris Fletcher to his work with HVMI today, but He wanted to get a jump on the weather. He had to travel down south. But we're going to do that next week. We're going to commission Chris to his work with with hand evangelism because he knows that it's the church that is to commission missionaries and, and workers. The church is the launching pad for the worldwide work of God. So again, does that matter to you, the great commission of Jesus? I know it does. Therefore, the church must be important because it is the launching pad from which even in the days of the apostles, they launched missionaries to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then finally, we might say, the church is the goal of the worldwide work of God. As Paul and Barnabas went out on that first missionary journey and on all their subsequent journeys, and we might say all the biblically driven missionary journeys that have taken place in 2,000 years, what is their goal? Twofold, to save sinners and to form churches. In Acts 14, we read on that first missionary journey, after they had preached the Gospels to that city and made many disciples, because that's how you make disciples, by preaching the Gospel. Two verses later, it says, when they appointed elders for them in every church. The goal of the worldwide work of God is to make disciples, followers of Jesus, through the preaching of the Gospel, and then to gather them into churches. So again, if... if the goal of the worldwide work of God is important to you. The church, in its local form, must be important to you because that's that's the goal. Not only to save isolated sinners, but to save those sinners and then gather them into local churches. So there it is, brothers and sisters. How important is the church? We have seen that it is vitally linked to the work of Jesus Christ, to the special presence of God in Christ, to the saving love of God, to the family of God, to the truth of God, to the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the saving plan of God. It is the launching pad for the worldwide work of God. It is the goal of the worldwide work of God. And my argument is, if these things are really central to your life as a Christian, the church must be central in your life. Because the church is vitally bound up with all of these things. Can anyone honestly claim to have an interest in these things and not be intensely interested in and involved in the church? I don't believe anyone with intellectual and spiritual consistency can say, oh yeah, the work of Jesus, the presence of God, the love of God, the the family of God, the truth of God, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, these things are of paramount importance to me. Eh, The church, eh, I can take her to leave it. 
You can't say that with intellectual and spiritual consistency. Now, I understand that the best of churches are far from perfect, and we are certainly no exception. I also understand that people have often been disappointed by churches. They've been offended. They've been wounded. They've been hurt by churches, both leaders and people. But given what the church is, we must resist the temptation to be cynical and to withdraw from the church into a self-protective isolation, which sadly many do. We must seek for God's grace to overcome that cynicism, to forgive the wrongs done, and to trust God to help us as we commit to that which he established, the church. Well, I hope that this reminder that the church is hitched to these various truths that are indisputably important to every Christian will help you to be further gripped by the importance of the church in its local expression. And next week, I want to go up, I want to follow up and go even further and convince you, although most of you are, that you not only need to be an attender and a faithful attender of church, but you need to be a card-carrying, sign-on-the-dotted-line member of a local church. And I think I have nine reasons next week to convince you of that. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, and by Christian I mean not somebody who tips his hat to Jesus, but if you have not been regenerated, transformed by the grace of God, if you've not put your trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and been given the Holy Spirit so that you know you're going to heaven, not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus has done, if you are not a Christian yet, church is not your first order of business. Jesus is. There's a horse and there's a cart. Jesus is the horse that pulls the cart. The cart is church. Don't get the cart before the horse. Your first need is to get right with Jesus, to get right with God through Jesus by saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I've done wrong, I can't be good enough for heaven, but you were good enough and you died for me and I want to put my trust in you, Jesus, alone to take away my sins and get me to heaven. You take care of the salvation of your soul by coming to God through Jesus and then the church will become important to you. But Jesus first, then the church. Let's pray. Father, insofar as I have spoken truth from your word, convince us of your truth and help us to love what you love. And you love all of these things, your wisdom, your glory, and you love your church. So help us who love these things indisputably to love the things that are hitched to them, namely your church, and to be committed to it and to serve in the fellowship of the church all the days of our lives until you take us to that heavenly church where there is no sin in heaven and eventually bring us to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. They're dismissed.